Good morning, and welcome to the Wisdom Seekers Sunday School class. My name is Tammy Stewart, and I am the teacher for this Sunday. And today, we are going to discuss just how highly attuned we are spiritually to inclining our ears and our hearts to God. On your handout, I have a Psalm 102 verse 2 incline thine ears unto me in the day when I call answer me speedily uh, you know most theologians think this psalm was penned by David um, at the time when his son Absalom was rebelling and so David uh, in this little bit of phrasing here I have he's really sorrowing in this psalm and he's feeling very afflicted. And he humbly begs God to take notice because he's really overwhelmed at this point in his life. And um, I kind of investigated and it talked about how he hadn't been eating. And he was really pleading with God to incline his ears and listen by spreading out an answer to David. And then my other psalm is incline my heart unto thy testimonies and again, David is writing in this very long psalm, you know, Psalm 119, that God would incline David's heart or turn his will, that he would do his moral obligation before God. Uh, his duty is done with delight, obviously, when his heart is inclined to it. So God's grace inclines us. Now, my prayer today is that our Father receives our open hearts and our open ears uh, to be ready to listen and obey as we extend them out to him in a measure of pure love and devotion and humility to him. Um, my goal, my aspiration, I'm sure it's yours as well, is to live a life full of hope, and vitality and power in his mighty spirit. Now, there are 215 occurrences of this verb incline. In Hebrew, it is the word natah. And it is translated some 35 different ways in the King James Version. Uh, we're going to look at two of these examples this morning the condition of our ears, and the purity of our hearts. So here is our definition. Incline, or natah, means to extend, stretch out, spread out, turn, bend, bow down. Now this is in a positive vein, but in a negative way, it also means decline, or become that which is warped or perverted. Now, before I get into uh, this handout, um, I would like to begin by sharing a short testimony. Uh, you're going to be surprised when I say this. Uh, when I was eight years old, and um, this is, I think, you know, reflect. This is kind of what brought life to this lesson. I feel like that was the first time I had encountered Natah. Um, we moved from Illinois to New Mexico, and um, 
we had started attending First Assembly of God in Albuquerque. And um, I had been raised in the church, you know, all my life, as well as my mother and then her mother. Uh, so here we are in this new church, and we had only been there a couple of weeks, and they informed the congregation that that next Sunday they were going to have a children's church. Uh, growing up in the Assemblies of God, the big thing in church was Sunday school. Everybody went to Sunday school. Sunday school was huge. It was actually bigger than church. And so children's church was non-existent at that time for me as a child. And so when it came to the service, I was sitting there with my, my family. And, you know, I would see what was going on. I was a bit bored at times because it was over my head. You know, I didn't know what to do with myself, but I knew that I had to be quiet in church. I'd been reminded of that many times. So I, I knew what to do. Well, uh, my mom started talking to me, and she said, now next Sunday they have this special children's church because, you know, this was new and different for us. And so uh, uh, some of you know my mom. That next Sunday, she had me in there early, front and center. You know, so I, I mean, I could just touch the speaker, you know, because that's where I was sitting. And uh, the person that was in charge of that uh, children's church was uh, a young man. His name was Jerry Manning, and he was 15 years old. And he had put together this very special lesson for all of the children. So it would have been ages at the time. It would have been ages 6 to 12. And here I was, 8 years old. So he, um, you know, I got, to, I got to watch everything from beginning to end because I was the first one there. But uh, he had uh, made a very large, had an easel, and he had made a very large board and covered it with white flannel. And huge, very big. And, of course, as a kid, you know, it was bigger than, you know, it was like going to the drive-in movie, you know, it was just bigger than life. And then he placed in the middle of that flannel board a large red heart which was made of red flannel. And it was right there, front and center. And then I noticed that he had uh, different smaller pieces of flannel, and he had either drawn on the flannel or he had like uh, affixed, like stapled or glued a picture on, the, on a piece of flannel. And so I could see those pieces. Another thing that he had was, uh, you can tell this is emblazoned in my mind, uh, is he had a whisk and he had a dustpan and then next to the easel on the floor was a trash can. So um, I think, you know, looking back on this, and I uh, had to really think about it for a while because I haven't been eight in a long time, you know. But I, I, I have two scriptures, and I think that, that this was his theme at the time. I've got Psalm 51.10. It says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Now remember, he's, he's speaking to children. And then the other one is Psalm 119.11, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Well, I looked up the word hid, and it means to cover over. Uh, or, you know, I'm talking about Nata today. So to, uh, you know, it kind of conveys the idea to spread out, you know, throughout your body, the word of God, body, soul, and spirit. So I think that was kind of his thrust at the time 
Um, you know, I don't remember all of that. It's been a long time. Uh, but uh, I'm going somewhere with this. So uh, we're all there. Uh, all the children are there. The parents had brought them in and seated them, and then they went into church. And then they would come back later. So, uh, you know, he started talking to us about our hearts and the condition of our heart. And he was kind of directed this way. And um, he did not have these things written down, but he had these flannel board pictures. And so he had things that he called good, things for the heart, and then things that were bad for the heart. And, of course, we're all just mesmerized because we're all little kids watching him. And he was a teenager, so that was a big deal, too. This was not like our parents teaching us in children's church. This was a teenager. You know, they, to a little kid, that's something really special. So um, he kind of, let me, uh, as I recall it, he kind of went through the things that are not good for the heart. Like, for example, talking to us as children, you know, telling lies. Uh, being unkind to friends, um, angry at parents, uh, stealing another person's property, disobeying your teacher. And he actually had, like I said earlier, he had pictures of some sort and he had flannel attached to it. Now what he, and then he had the good things, I should run through those, but he started with the bad. Uh, good, he was talking about loving our parents, uh, telling the truth at all times, reading the Bible, uh, helping with chores, uh, being trustworthy, and then praying at all times. So he started with with a bad one or a negative one. And he, uh, so my first one, I think I was telling lies. And so he would place that up in the heart. And, you know, he, and he was kind of reviewing with us, but he was also trying to uh, win us over because we were, you know, 6 to 12. Some of us had been uh, in church all our lives. Some of the children were new to the church. I do remember that because the reason we were in New Mexico at the time was because um, employment was very, uh, employment opportunities were very high. And that's what drew my father to take the family there. So there were lots of new people coming into Albuquerque and they were also coming into the churches. So I wasn't the only new face in that group. And uh, so, Anyway, I think he was reviewing, and so he put up that one about telling lies, and he talked about how, you know, you asked for forgiveness when you feel like you have sinned, you've done wrong, God covers that with his blood, and then he took his uh, whisk broom and his dustpan, and he said, this is no longer to be remembered, you know, and he brushed it off the heart, and he turned and he dropped it in the trash can. Well, you can imagine the children you know, all of that going on was, you know, quite, uh, for some of them, quite shocking, you know, <laughs> what was happening. So I'm going to bring you to the end. Uh, at the end, all of the, all of the uh, parents came back in to this very large room, kind of like this room, uh, to pick us up. And uh, remember, this is someone 15 years old speaking to these children. And I just remember thinking, uh, you know, I was just kind of, I had this feeling of being overwhelmed. That's what initially what I felt. And then uh, my mother comes into the room, and I, and I can see other parents coming in. And I realized that uh, no one was, children, this is children, no one is moving, no one is talking, everyone is sitting very still in their seats. What a surprise. And the parents would come up, 
and uh, they were trying to get their kids' attention, and some of the parents actually carried their kids off. Some of them, you know, had their arm around them and was walking them out. And so the reason I'm sharing this is because I remember that, and I remember my mom coming up and bending down real low, getting eyeball to eyeball with me, and she said, are you ready to go? And I said, yeah, you know, okay. So, you know, she kind of put her arm around me and out the door we went, and I was real quiet in the car, but uh, she was trying to talk to me because she knew something had happened in that little children's church because the kids were just very quiet, wow. very taken. And uh, uh, she, she was trying to talk to me, and I was just kind of, you know, not there. I mean, I was, but it kind of passed is what happened. And then she started talking to me about it. And um, being eight, I, I wasn't sure um, how to express to my mother what I felt in my spirit. I knew that I felt different. And so basically what happened is I was taken with this whole thing, and I talked about it for weeks and weeks and weeks. But every time I would bring it up, even in the, in the car that day, she would ask me a series of questions. And I, I can't tell you what the questions are, but we would always have a discussion about this lesson that I had in children's church. And um, so I think that after several weeks, what, what kind of happened to me is I was able to kind of, uh, in my mind, formulate what had happened to me. And so I said to my mother one day, because I was still talking about this lesson, I said, Mom, I, I don't know how to explain this exactly, but I know that spiritually, uh, God is wanting me to uh, come closer to him, to draw closer to him. And, and I don't know um, how to do that exactly. I mean, I know, you know, I knew about prayer, and I knew about reading the Bible, and I knew, uh, you know, I respected my Sunday school teachers, and, you know, I was, you know, doing all I thought I was supposed to do in church, but it was kind of like way over. And so I just said to my mom, you know, I, I'm not sure what the next steps are, but I know that God is wanting me to kind of stretch myself. I don't know if I actually said stretch, but I knew that I had to kind of reach out and extend myself to kind of uh, get closer to him. And so finally, uh, you know, this had happened for many weeks. She said to me at the house, or maybe we were in the car, she said, uh, uh, I, I think that it is time for you to be baptized in water. Well, that's no mystery to me because I grew up in church, so I knew what that looked like. I had seen people baptized. She said, now the only catch is uh, you're going to have to give your testimony. They're going to bring that microphone up. And I said, oh, Mom, I, I know what I'm supposed to do, and I know what this means, and I'm ready. So she said, okay. All right, she says, we're going we're gonna to... I'm going to talk to the pastor, and we're going to get you on the list to be baptized. So that happened within weeks. So I talked about that a bit. You know, I, I thought that was wonderful. I, I don't want to go there. That's too detailed. But um, I was still talking about Jerry and his teaching. And so she said uh, a couple weeks later, she says, um, and I, I, I really feel like she knew that something had happened with the children. And there was a move, you know, coming for the children. And so she said, um, she said, well, uh, I think that, and she said it again, she said, I think you might be ready uh, to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
And uh, I said, yes. And I said, well, I know, Mom, you know, pastor always has, I can't remember the pastor's name at the time, you know, because we had a few. But uh, I said, I know he always has an altar call for salvation. Then he has an altar call for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Then he has an altar call for healing. We had three every Sunday. So I said, oh, yeah, I, I know. I know what to do. And so she's, well, you know, when he says, if you would like to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I said, why don't we just get up and walk down there because we had altars in the front of the church. She said, yes. And she said, now you know that this is a gift. And I was like, yes, you know, and I'm ready. You know, I'm you were very So I go down there, and, and of course I received. I'm trying to get to through the end of this. It's 15 after. So uh, the last thing that happened to me was, and it was probably that next Sunday, she said, uh, she says, now you've been baptized in water and you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. She said, now you're in our service, you know, with the sermons. And she said, I think that you are ready to, uh, to take communion. And she says, you know what the elements are, the bread and the wine and what they signify. And I'm, you know, nodding my head. And, and two, let me just say this. My mother was a Sunday school teacher. So even though she taught on Sunday morning, I got to hear it all week. So, you know, <laughs> nothing was a surprise to me. And so um, I said, okay. You know, I, I felt really important now because I could take it with the adults. All right, to get to the end of my story here. Um, I, I felt like doing those things, I felt like I was honoring God and I was moving closer to him. But... Uh, what happened was, and, and, and my mom knew this, uh, I was missing Jerry at church. And let me just interject something about him. He's fi he was 15, and uh, he was one of the first people I met. And I'm a kid. I'm eight years old. And he comes up, and he's real friendly, and he's talking to me, and he's witnessing to me and, you know, showing me where things are. And, and I'm like, gosh, I feel special. You know, this 15-year-old boy is taking all this attention, you know. And, and putting it on me. And, but he was like that with everybody. He was like the church evangelist. Uh, he witnessed every new person that entered the door. He was always in the front of the church after the sermon. He was always an altar worker. He was always praying for people. That's the kind of person he was. So I said to my mom, uh, I haven't seen Jerry. Where's Jerry? And so we had another conversation. And she said, well, she said, Jerry uh, has cancer, and uh, Jerry has passed away. Now, she knew that he was very ill, but she didn't tell me. I was a kid. And she, but she knew that, and, and she talked to me about this, that God had used this young man to release a message to the children of the church. And a lot of them were new kids. They weren't, uh, you know, some had been attending the church for a number of years. And so it made an impact on us. It really did. So uh, she, she told me, and of course I was sad for the longest time uh, as a kid. Um, I, wa I didn't feel lost. I, I wasn't falling back. I was just very sad because I liked him, and everybody in the church liked him. 
And uh, it was like that next Sunday, I overheard the adults talking after service, and they said, they said, oh, you know, we really miss Jerry. And of course, they knew everything, you know, they were talking about his illness and, and how much they missed him. And they were saying, you know, Jerry told us that God was calling him home early, but we didn't realize it was going to be this early. You know, we're thinking, not, not now, not yet. And, you know, we're sad that he's gone, but he's not in any pain, and he's with the Lord, and he wanted to be with the Lord. That was his aspiration. That was his goal. He knew that was part of his purpose. And when I heard people talk, and I overheard him. I was just a kid running around, but I heard him talk. I, you know, they were talking about Jerry, so I'm, I listened up. And so it helped me. I felt better about it. Now, let me fast forward. I was eight, so I fast forward. Seven years. I thought that was significant too. I fast forward seven years. I'm 15. I'm in a different church, but I'm in our somebody got church, and my pastor comes up to me, and he says, oh, "I would like for you uh, to teach a Sunday school class." Well. I knew what Sunday school was. I'd been in Sunday school all my life. But all of my peers were in a class for, you know, teenagers for middle school. That's where they were, most of them. Th they were in a class, in a Sunday school class, which is cool, you know, to be with all your peers at church. But he said to me, would you, would you teach a Sunday school class? And I said, yes, I was just, I was just so happy to hear that. I said, yes, I would be glad to. He says, I think that would be great. Well, what I want to say is my pastor then was Jerry's father. And I look back on those early days, you know, when I was eight years old, and all the things that had occurred and how my life uh, took, uh, you know, these turns you know, brand new to Albuquerque, I was really excited about moving. I thought that was cool because we had mountains and Indians, so I, I liked all that. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, I, it took a turn. And uh, it was all because of this young man who passed away at 15. And I really felt like, looking back on that experience I had, that that was uh, a nata for me. I felt like I needed to spread out myself, body, soul, and spirit to reach out to God, but I knew that it wasn't like you, ca you came to the finish line, you, you know, you stopped. You know, you're just, you're in a marathon, and you just continue to head towards the finish line, and that was my take on it, and Jerry was this very uh, important person that actually stepped into my life at the time. And what was interesting about all of that is, and I'll, uh, this is my last thought on this, is um, I didn't know this at the time. My mother told me. But uh, the church was in transition. They were getting a new pastor at the church that I was at when I met Jerry. My mother came to our family and said, you know, we're in this temporary housing. We're going to move across town, so we're going to change churches because we want to be close to the church. It was called Central Assembly of God. And so the th interesting thing about that time is all of these kids had that experience just like I did. 
But I really never saw them again after a few weeks because we relocated in Albuquerque. So I think about them today. Obviously, they're my age and older. And what they're doing with their life, I don't know. But that was my natah at a very early age. And uh, I wasn't planning on using this, but the more I kept looking at this lesson, the more I felt like I needed to share this right at the beginning. Um, I still look for the natah in my life. So I'm going to close that part of it and come back to our handout. And um, let's see, I probably need to do a little introduction for this scripture in Jeremiah. Um, and I felt like the first part of this was really significant. Um, the prophet Jeremiah, he receives a word. And I, what I want you to look at is he receives a word, but he doesn't receive a word from the Lord. He doesn't receive a word from God. He receives a word from the Lord of hosts, okay, the God of Israel. Well, let's just look at the Lord of hosts for just a second. The Lord of hosts is the commander of the angelic forces, right, who war on behalf of the eternal seed, uh, you know, righteousness. Um, this is a term that describes God in his capacity as a warrior. Now, Whenever the name of the Lord of Hosts is used in the Bible, we view it as a matter of urgency. And one of probably pending warfare. So let's look at this. Of course, you know, my focus is inclined, but let's couple that for right now with the Lord of Hosts. So if we look at this first scripture, and you can see that I highlighted this phrase, to, incline, to not incline thine ear uh, by going backward and not forward, saith the Lord of hosts, and truth is perished. Now, you'll notice as we read this, there is a bending away from God for a great decline spiritually in the people. Um, this uh, We're going to look at chapter 7, but you don't have this on your handout, but um, in verse 1 of chapter 7, um, the orders were uh, for Jeremiah to preach the words, and he was to go to the gate of the Lord's house to do this. And uh, the people would enter into the outer court, you know, to go to the temple of God. And at that time period, it was in Shiloh. So we know that the Lord of hosts is the name that most embodies the spirit of judgment and burning. That's the name of God that brings restoration of purpose or righteous vision. So let's, let's read this. 
It's Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 21 through 24. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Put your burnt offerings unto your sacrifices, and eat flesh. For I spake not unto your fathers, nor commanded them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. But this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and ye shall be my people, and walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well unto you. But they hearkened not, nor inclined their ear, but walked in the counsels and in the imagination, uh, you know, it's a sense of being twisted, of their evil heart, and went backward and not forward since the day that your fathers came forth out of the land of Egypt unto this day, have I even sent unto you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them. Yet they hearkened not unto me, nor inclined their ear, but hardened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. Therefore, thou shalt speak all these words unto them, but they will not hearken to thee. Thou shalt also call unto them, but they will not answer thee. But thou shalt say unto them, This is a nation that obeyeth not the voice of the Lord their God, nor receiveth correction. Truth is perished and is cut off from their mouth. You know, God was saying that the people thought the temple would protect them while they polluted it with the wickedness. Their sacrifices would not atone for the sins committed while they went on in disobedience. Uh, look at verse 24. The people were following the twistedness of their own hearts and passions into a deeper disobedience to discard God's will and to follow their own will by drawing back into the way of sin and now they were worse than ever in the history of mankind. Now recall that the word incline means to decline which is to become warped or you know, think about that. If something is warped, it is bent out of shape and distorted. The people deviated from the pathway of God, which is the proper course to take to find truth, and they have fallen backwards into the highway of death and destruction. People continued to sacrifice, but they would not be ruled by God. They would not receive instruction of the word or correction. They would not be reclaimed or reformed by either one. They were false to both God and man. And truth, which is the fulfillment of what is believed at the right hand, has now been cut away and completed. 
speaking this to the people? The Lord of hosts. Now, this next uh, scripture is about four chapters over in the book of Jeremiah. <laughs> and things are already bad, but they're getting worse. And you know, the word incline really conveys the idea of spreading out and the effects of evil and wickedness are becoming far deeper and deadlier as they stretch to every person and to every place. So here's God again, through the prophet Jeremiah, he, he puts the people in mind of the covenant that he's made with their forefathers. He charges them that they have stubbornly refused to obey God. Jeremiah is to proclaim this in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. They thought that they might do what they please and yet have what God had promised as if they thought keeping up ceremonial observances was all that God required of them. I can do that. So Jeremiah shows them that the thing that God insisted upon was obedience. Obedience, which was better than sacrifice. Hear the words of the covenant and do them. This was the original contract between God and them when he formed them into a people. He redeemed them out of slavery. Um, he took them into his service. And really, that was like a perfect freedom. This was made the condition of the relationship between them and God. So shall you be my people and I will be your God. I will own you for mine, and you may call upon me as yours. It was upon these terms that the land of Canaan was given to them for a possession. Now God, or the Lord of hosts, charges them with a breach of covenant. Such a breach amounted to a forfeiture of their charter. So I highlighted this, nor inclined their ear, which refused to hear my words according to the Lord of hosts, and hath pronounced evil against them. Here the people are defiantly refusing to hear and obey and are diverting from the path of the purpose. Okay, let's read. This is Jeremiah chapter 11, <coughs> verses 7 through 17. For I earnestly protested unto your fathers in the day that I brought them up out of the land of Egypt, even unto this day, rising early and protesting, saying, Obey my voice. Yet they obeyed not, nor inclined their ear, but walked everyone in the imagination of their evil heart. Therefore I will bring upon them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, but they did not. And the Lord said unto me, A conspiracy is found among the men of Judah and among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They are turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers, 
which refused to hear my words, and they went after other gods to serve them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant, which I made with their fathers. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, behold, I will bring evil upon them, which they shall not be able to escape. And though they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. Then shall the cities of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem go and cry unto the gods unto whom they offer incense but they shall not save them at all in the time of their trouble. For according to the number of thy cities were thy gods. O Judah, and according to the number of the streets of Jerusalem, have ye set up altars to that shameful thing, even altars to burn incense unto Baal. Therefore pray not thou for this people, nor lift up a cry or prayer for them, for I will not hear them in the in the time that they cry unto me for their trouble. <coughs> what hath my beloved to do in mine house, seeing she hath wrought lewdness with many, and the holy flesh is passed from thee? When thou doest evil, then thou <coughs> rejoicest. The Lord called thy name a green olive tree, fair and of goodly fruit, with the noise of a great tumult. Uh, that means like a rush, um, uh, like a rain with a windy roar. He hath kindled fire upon it, and the branches of it are broken. For the Lord of hosts that planted thee hath pronounced evil against thee. For the evil of the house of Israel and of the house of Judah which they have done against themselves to provoke me to anger in offering incense unto Baal. All right, in verse 9, a conspiracy is found among them. You know, there is a dangerous design formed to overthrow God's government and bring in the counterfeit deities. They designed to overthrow divine revelation and persuade people not to hear and not to heed the words of God. Human reason shall be their God. Uh, verse 11. God states he will bring evil upon them. It is evil of punishment for the evil of sin. They cannot help themselves, and God will not help them. Their idols shall not help them. Jeremiah's prayers shall not help them. Now, God had called Israel's name um, a green olive tree. That was in verse 16, and had made them so. Um, he had planted them and formed them into a people with all the advantages they could have to make them a fruitful and flourishing people. So good was their law and so good was their land. He had planted them as a green olive, but they had degenerated into a wild olive tree. Both the house of Israel 
and the house of Judah had done evil and had provoked God to anger in burning incense to Baal. Now, look again at verse 16. Note the words, with the noise of great tumult. And <clears throat> I had said that that's like a rush, and it's likened to a rain with a windy roar. It, he, he says here that he hath kindled fire upon it. Now, remember that the spirit of judgment and burning personifies the Lord of hosts. Burning is the Hebrew word bar-ar, which commonly it describes anger, passion, intrigue, but it also stresses the consuming qualities of a fire. So we have trees planted in the Lord's vineyard, yet they are fruitless and twice dead. That's so funny. One would think to be once dead was enough, really. Um, they had been dead in their natural state, but they seemed to recover and to be brought to life again. When they, they took upon themselves to become the sons of God. And um, I'm going to jump into Jude real quick. You know, Jude, the book of Jude is just one chapter. <clears throat> uh, verse 12 of Jude, it's not on your handout. But in the second half of that verse in Jude, uh, he speaks about the phrase, uh, trees whose fruit withers without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, when, and this is Jude speaking, when he is describing the deceivers who were seducing the disciples of Christ. Interesting. Hmm. Okay, now the last thing about this was the branches. Um, the high and lofty boughs are broken down, so both the princes and the priests are cut off from God. It proves that the evil done against God is really done against their own souls because they did not obey God's voice. And of course, I, I keep saying God, but through this whole section here in Jeremiah, these two passages that I highlighted, it was the Lord of hosts. Wow. All right, little introduction here. Um, this next passage in Psalms is kind of a prayer and a praise and then a time again for prayer. David um, is being persecuted by Saul, we think. Um, so David addresses himself to God in the way of an appeal and he's petitioning God. And he says, and it's highlighted here, incline thine ear to me. And so we're speaking about God hearing man, and this is David, Psalm 17, verses 1 through 7. Hear the right, or the righteous cause, O Lord Yahweh. Attend, or give heed unto my cry. Give ear unto my prayer, which is tapilla, or supplication, that goeth not out of feigned or deceitful lips, 
Let my sentence come forth from thy presence. Let thine eyes behold the things that are equal. Thou hast proved thine heart, mine heart. Thou hast visited me in the night. Thou hast tried me and shalt find nothing. I am purposed that my mouth shall not transgress concerning the works of men. By the word of thy lips have I have kept me from the paths of the destroyer. Interesting. By the word of thy lips I have kept me. He's obeyed God's voice. Hold up my goings in thy paths that my footsteps slip not. I have called unto thee, for thou wilt hear me, O God Elohim. Incline thine ear unto me, and hear Shema, my speech, or hear my <coughs> words. Show thy marvelous loving kindness, O thou that savest by thy right hand them which put their trust in thee from those that rise up against them. David begins by asking Yahweh, the God of purpose, to hear his righteous cause and to give heed to his supplication by prostrating himself and becoming fully exposed before God is judge to be assessed. And he tells the Lord in verse 2 to let his sentence come forth from God's presence. You know, the spirit of a man is the candle of the Lord. And with this, God had searched David and visited him in the night when he communed with his own heart upon his bed. And then in verse 6, David affirms that Elohim, the heart of God, has extended or stretched out his ears and heard David's words, preserving his footsteps that he will not waver from the pathway of purpose. Wow. Um, in this next set of scriptures, um, we're going to kind of shift our focus here, and we're going to talk about inclining the heart. We've been talking about inclining the ear. Now we're going to talk about inclining the heart. And... Um, little background here. Um, Moses had um, twice uh, publicly ratified a covenant between God and Israel um, at Mount Sinai and then in the plains of Moab. Um, Joshua, this is what we're going to be, the individual we're talking about, he had done it once and now what we're going to read is the second time. Um, this entire uh, 24th chapter um, is the conclusion to the life and reign of uh, Joshua. And he is taking great care, great pains, uh, to confirm the people of Israel in true faith and worship to God. Um, after his death, uh, Joshua wanted them to continue serving God. He calls a general assembly of the heads of the congregation of Israel. So this is what we're going to read about here. And, of course, I've highlighted it here. Incline your heart to the Lord God. Turn to our Father and serve him. So Joshua 24, verses 22 and through 28. And Joshua said unto the Lord, 
ye are witnesses against yourselves that ye have chosen you the Lord to serve him and they said we are witnesses now therefore put away said he the strange gods which are among you and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel and the people said unto Joshua the Lord our God will we serve and his voice will we obey Shema so Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and set them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem and Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and took a great stone and set it up there under an oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord and Joshua said unto all the people behold this stone shall be a witness unto us for it hath heard all the words of the Lord which he spake unto us it shall be therefore a witness unto you lest ye deny your God so Joshua let the people depart every man unto his inheritance you know Joshua he carefully managed uh, this treaty with the people and he's really trying to engage them to serve God by embracing it intelligently rationally and express full purpose of heart to cleave unto the Lord incline your hearts by extending stretching and spreading out fully body soul and spirit your love and your obedience to God now as a result their service to God is the children of Israel's chosen choice so Joshua binds them with this solemn covenant which we read about he calls witnesses none other than them they are the witnesses the people he puts it in writing and he inserts it in the sacred canon okay, I'm almost out of time Is I'm going to stop a minute any thoughts any comments alright um We've come back to David. Um, he was an amazing person. Um, he's in distress here, and he's, he's shedding many tears uh, when he wrote this psalm. Um, he's praying for God's acceptance, and he, he needs his powerful assistance. And it starts, uh, I have it highlighted, Lord, incline not my heart to any evil. Turn aside from the perverted or the twisted. So Psalm 141, 1 through 4. Lord Yahweh, I cry unto thee, make haste unto me, give ear unto my voice when I cry unto thee. Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth, keep the door of my lips incline not my heart to any evil raw thing to practice wicked works with men that work iniquity 
and let me not eat of their dainties. You know, we know that prayer is a spiritual sacrifice. <coughs> it's an offering up of our souls to God. David, in his praying and lifting up of his hands, signifies the lifting up of his heart. So instead of lifting up the sacrifices, which were he at that time period and weighed before the Lord, um, I don't have this one on your sheet, um, but I inserted this. Um, David tells us in Psalm 51, it's verses 16 through 17, that God desires not sacrifice of a burnt offering, or David would have given it, but the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. It is a heart pliable to the word of God, a heart subdued and brought into obedience. It is a heart that is tender, like Josiah's, and trembles at the at God's word. Um, the breaking of Christ's body for sin is the only sacrifice of atonement. There is no other sacrifice that could take away sin. The breaking of our hearts for sin is a sacrifice of you know, prayer is sweet-smelling, and it's a savor to God, like an incense. There is no smell of incense without fire. Our prayers must be stoked and burning with love, holiness, and passion as we commune with our Father in order for him to hear our sacrifices and respond. David begs that he might be kept from sin, knowing that his prayers would not be accepted unless he took care to watch for and against sin. Incline my heart not to do any evil thing, whatever inclination if I try to turn aside into that which hints at perversion or wickedness, let it not only be restrained but mortified. Let me not join others and get entangled by the deception of their sweets, of their sins. to do this. Um, in this next uh, collection of verses in Kings, um, the representatives of all Israel are called together to a feast to honor God for 14 days. Um, the priests uh, brought the ark into the temple um, to the most holy place. Uh, you know, God takes possession in the form of a cloud. Uh, 
Solomon blesses the people and he dedicates the temple. Uh, this next passage that we're going to read is a long prayer and exhortation to the entire assembly of people that were present at that time. Um, I want you to note that King Solomon is asking Yahweh and Elohim to incline the people's hearts to him. When both of the names of God, uh, Yahweh and Elohim, are used together, it depicts the ongoing partnership between the person of God and his acts. So we have Lord, which is Yahweh, God Elohim, incline our hearts to you, turn and walk in his ways. So this is 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 54 through 61. And it was so that when Solomon had made an end of praying, all this prayer and supplication unto the Lord, he arose from the altar of the Lord, from kneeling on his knees, with his hands spread up to heaven, and he stood and blessed all the congregation of Israel with a loud voice, saying, Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel, according to all that he promised. There hath not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses his servant. The Lord Yahweh, our God Elohim, be with us as he was with our fathers. Let him not leave us nor forsake us, that he may incline our hearts unto him to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, which he commanded our fathers. And let these my words, wherewith I have made supplication before the Lord, be nigh unto the Lord our God day and night, that he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel at all times, as the matter shall require that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is none else. Let your heart therefore be perfect with the Lord our God to walk in his statutes and to keep his commandments as at this day. Okay, Solomon <coughs> blesses himself and the congregation expresses their earnest desire and hope concerning uh, four things. And you can see them on your handout. Uh, so you can kind of look back. Uh, the first one I, I highlighted was the presence of God with them. So that would be in verse 57, the front part of it. The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. Uh, you know, what was going to happen was Israel was shortly to be scattered and they would not be together again like they were at this point in time in history. Um, that Yahweh, who represents the will and purpose of God, and Elohim, signifying the heart of God, who loves us, will always be present with us now and forever. Number two was the power of his grace upon them. So this was the second half of verse 57. It is real short, nor forsake us. Let God be with us and continue with us. It is not for the purpose of enlarging our coasts or 
increasing our wealth, but that he, as our God, may incline or extend our hearts to him, to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments. And then number three, an answer to the prayer he has now made. That was verse 59. Let these, my words, be nigh unto the Lord our God day and night. That there will be a continual answer to this prayer going forward for the people of God and as a sign for the nations of the world. And then our last one, number four. The heart of God, the heart of God's people, perfect towards him. That was verse 61. Let your heart be perfect. Perfect means complete and made ready with the Lord our God. Solomon, in a very serious tone here, charges his people to continue and to persevere in their duty to God. And in closing, uh, back to David. You can tell I love David. Um, David had uh, great esteem and affection for the word of God. But I want you to think about this. How little did David have of the Bible? Well, he probably had only the first books of Moses, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's what he had. And I highlighted my key uh, phrase, I inclined my heart to fulfill your statutes, to spread out my heart to fulfill purpose. So this is Psalm 119, verses 105 to 112. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I have sworn and I will perform it that I will keep thy righteous judgments. I am afflicted very much. Quicken me, O Lord, according unto thy word. Accept, I beseech thee, the free will offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me thy judgments. My soul is continually in my hand, yet do I not forget thy law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, yet I erred not from thy precepts. Thy testimonies have I taken as a heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. I have inclined mine heart to perform thy statutes always, even unto the end. You know, we know the word of God is a lamp and a light that helps us to discover God and ourselves. Uh, otherwise, we could have not known concerning the greatnesses of God in heaven. Um, the word is a lamp that burns with the oil of the spirit. Um, it is like the lamps burning in the Old Testament and the pillar of fire that guided Israel by night. Um, the word of God is a light to our eyes to gratify them, but also a light to our feet and our path. <coughs> Knowledge and understanding of the truth have kept our steps aligned with the law and the commandments of God. Our heritage as the sons of God bring hope 
for eternal life. <clears throat> David declares he will stretch himself out fully and completely to God to obey the word of God according to his partnership with the Father for his reward in eternity. Now, uh, this is my closing. Um, you know, today, we as saints have the entire Bible at our disposal to read and to study. David had so little, but he gleaned so much about divine revelation. Isn't that amazing? His relationship with the Father had so much depth you know, maybe David could inspire us to greater heights of faith and prayer in our time upon the earth to fulfill our purpose that God has destined for us. You know what? May we commit fully to becoming students of the word that we may have uh, an Emmaus road experience. Remember when the uh, Christ was, uh, he'd been uh, crucified, and he was hanging on the cross, and then he was taken down and put in the tomb, and then he was resurrected, and there was two men walking, I don't know their names, walking to the village of Emmaus because they had been, you know, at witnesses to what had happened to Jesus. And they were talking about all these things that had occurred with Jesus. And as they're talking and kind of discussing what had happened for that period of time while they were away from their little village, who kind of appears upon the road, you know, starts walking with them. Jesus. So then there's the three of them walking to the village of Emmaus discussing what has occurred to Jesus. And the men were taken with Jesus' words and I, I don't think you have it on your handout but uh, they got close to the village, and of course, one of them invited Jesus to come to the house and to have bread or to have a meal with them because it was late in the day. Uh, this is from Luke chapter 24, verses 31 and 32, and I, this is the scripture that I wanted to highlight. It says, and their eyes were opened, and open means noigo, uh, and it means to open thoroughly. So here they were, you know, walking along, and their eyes were opened, and they knew him. So they recognized Jesus, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, did not our heart burn? Uh, this is the word uh, kayo, which means to set on fire. Within us, while he talked or preached with us, by the way, and while he opened, here's that word again, dianoigo, to open thoroughly the scriptures. 
these men were hearing Jesus preach, which made their hearts burn, and their eyes were opened to an understanding of the scripture in a deeper way and also who he really was. He wasn't just Jesus, he was the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ was preaching to them. They found the preaching powerful even when they knew not the preacher. He made things very plain and clear to them and it brought like a divine uh, heat with a divine light into their spirits. You know, we too are very much affected with the supernatural mysteries of God. And my prayer is that we, as a body and network, will always incline our ears and our hearts to God. And that is my teaching today. Um, is there any thoughts? Any comments? All right, I ran over a little bit. I apologize. Uh, thank you for coming. God bless everyone. Good idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you start preparing now too. We'll prepare. We'll be prepared. All they did is is not afraid to follow Tammy. Oh gosh, how funny! <clears throat> I follow her around anyway. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>